Welcome to WeAreTechnology.com's User-Friendly 2.0 with host Bill Sickens, Technology Architect. And this is User-Friendly 2.0. We've got a great show for you this week. Got an interview and we're going to be looking at some other things. Got a Q&A. Got some great topics in the news that are coming right up here. Some very interesting things uh, we're going to talk about a little bit more, but I don't get why the big companies cheat. They're going to get caught. Talk about that in a little more detail here in just a minute, but it's like, you know, really, what are you doing? Send us your questions and your comments, 503-766-6264. One user-friendly on Facebook, one user-friendly on Twitter. Today's news is brought to you by Blakesley Vineyard Estates in Sherwood. Treat yourself to a spectacular view, venue, and award-winning wines. During COVID appointments required. Call 503-625-6902 or email business at blakesleyvineyard.com. That's Blakesley, B-L-A-K-E-S-L-E-E-V-I-N-E-Y-A-R-D.com. What's in the news? New Windows exploit lets you instantly become administrator. Yeah, so basically you need to patch again. And uh, this <laughs> is an exploit that went out in an update previously. And what it is and where this becomes a problem is not so much on your own computer, which you'd probably be admin for anyway, but is if you're on a network, you can grab admin rights on the network to other people's workstations. And uh, the one interesting thing about the release on this is they're talking about, well, if the bad actors get a toehold in the network, this would be a way to allow them to get in. And I agree with the idea that if they've gotten into the network at all, that's already a bad thing. But the reality of the situation is, is you just um, need to patch, keep everything up to date. And like anything else, it seems sometimes the fixes do introduce more problems than they resolve. Net neutrality gains a win in the EU. This is something that we've actually seen in the United States as well. And what they were trying to do was say that certain packages on a cell phone would count as zero data. So they have a preferred provider, like say a streaming media company where they provide movies. And if you use that company, it doesn't count against your consumption of bandwidth on the phone. The only problem with that is, is it is prioritizing one service over another. Yeah. And the EU court started in Hungary and the EU court that ultimately heard this said that, nope, that's a violation of net neutrality because you are prioritizing one thing over another. And this has been the first time that their law has been tested to see what actually happens and how a court would actually deal with it. So it's considered a win for net neutrality. Vinyl record sales surpass CDs for the first time since the 1980s. Yeah, and this is a statement of what is old is new again. Mm -hmm. And um, I think this is actually kind of cool. I'm glad to see that records are still around. And they're more of a collector thing now than anything else. But CDs are considered pretty much obsolete. People are buying their media online. They're using MP3 players, iPods, iPhones, Android phones, that type of thing. Mm -hmm. And uh, so the idea of buying a CD and having a big box of CDs somewhere that's collecting dust is out of fashion. That's a shame because I have a lot of CDs. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so, you know, so do I. No, but the technology on this is changing. As a, for example, most 2021 cars no longer have CD players. Yeah, I think yeah. that's weird. Well, they're not used. Yeah. I mean, they're not used. And in all honesty, and both of my vehicles um, have had CD players. My uh, 2002, I used it in the beginning and then quit because everything was moved to a flash drive. Because what was happening is I had CDs in the car on the visor and the visor thing wore out and they fell yeah. down and they got scratched. And 
you know, you don't want to deal with that. So there's, there is less clutter with the memory stick, you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, one of the things you have to watch on this too, is we've had a couple of providers that sell the MP3 versions, the digital versions of music go out of business and all of a sudden you lose what you bought unless you've downloaded it. So there are some, some disadvantages this, to this too, but a uh, record, which audiophobes still say sounds better than the digital reproduced version of the music is still out there. People are still buying them and sales are, have now exceeded CDs. Razor accidentally leaks personal data of over 100,000 customers. Yeah. So we seem to have one of these every couple of weeks, if not every week. And Razor had a leak or a misconfiguration on August 18th on their online store. They're saying that no payment information was exposed. However, definitely would be a good idea, I think, to go in and, and make sure that your account's secure. I always recommend changing passwords and that type of thing when this happens. Although some of these type of leaks, you can be doing everything right and the information can still get out there because of a problem with the company. So I have a, I have a dumb question. Um, what is Razor? Uh, Razor is a company that sells software. Um, they do a bunch of different things. I've seen keyboards and some other things like that. Oh, the, that's a gaming company. Yeah, it's a gaming company. Oh, okay. okay. Wait, why would they have... Never mind. That's a really, really weird question for me to ask. <laughs> yeah, well, and obviously they would sell stuff, you know, but uh, yeah. they make some really cool things. I mean, I, you know, the, the, the stuff that Razor puts out is definitely, in my opinion, worth what it is. But uh, you still want to be careful if you've worked with their website or spent any money on there or anything like that. Again, they're saying your payment information isn't out, but it's a good idea to keep things. And, you know, I, we, we talk about this so often, but the reality of the situation is in this day and age, the best thing to do is just keep an eye on your financial accounts. Use different passwords for your banking, credit cards, than everything else. The average person has somewhere around 90 online accounts now, and having a different password for each one gets a little bit overwhelming. So what Slightly. you what you want to do is keep the more what would be considered higher risk things like banking, healthcare, have separate passwords on those. The rest of them do the best you can. But the thing of it is, is at the end of the day, you might not know that your information got out there. So you've got to watch your own online accounts. If you see charges that shouldn't be there, if you see money that's disappearing or anything that looks unusual, get a hold of your financial institution, talk to them about it because you do have a limited amount of time from when a data breach occurs or when someone steals money to when you can file a claim. And if you get out of that, you might get stuck holding the bag. So it's important. It's just vigilance at this point. Uh, because the reality is, at the end of the day, one out of every two Americans have had their data leaked at this point and outside of their own control. And that's the statistic as it is. Daimler to pay $1.5 billion in emissions cheating settlement with the U.S. So I guess that they decided to follow the lead of Volkswagen. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, so what's going on here is essentially the same thing that happened with Volkswagen on their diesel engines. They have smog requirements, as we all do. You go to the smog station and have the car tested. But what's going on is they've worked into the software so that the car knows if it's on a smog test or if it's actually on the road. <laughs> and when it's on the smog test, it changes the way the engine runs. So it's putting out less smog. So it'll pass the test, but that costs performance. So when you're actually out on the road, it switches back to the other uh, mode, puts out in some cases 10 times the amount of pollution it's supposed to for the purpose of performance. And oh um, so again, here at the end of the day, it's like, did they really think they weren't going to get caught? I asked this of Volkswagen too. 
you know, if you're going to cheat, it's eventually going to get out there. It just is. Why don't they just make better cars? <laughs> well, you know, and that's the question because there is the ability to make diesel engines that have power and all of that kind of thing and still meet the emissions requirements. I would assume, now I have not gotten an answer back and I've tried to get a hold of the press office both here and at Volkswagen to ask these kind of questions and it's basically not even no comment, it's just no response. But um, I would think at the end of the day, it probably costs less to manufacture them without the emission controls. And that kind of a thing would lead to this. But, you know, you're looking at $1.5 billion. You were looking at a, some worldwide that almost eliminated the Volkswagen company. And it's just not worth it, in my humble opinion. Yeah, $1.5 billion towards uh, research and development probably would have made, like, a really awesome couple of car designs. Yeah, yep. yeah, you know, and that's... Uh, <laughs> That's where I'm coming from. And one other news topic that didn't get into the lineup this week that I do want to talk about is uh, Microsoft's underwater data center. So this yeah, is when I, when I found that article for uh, just kind of it seemed like a really cool idea. Yeah, I just don't know how they did it. It's an experiment, and what they've done is they have what looks to be a giant tube. And uh, Jeremy, how many servers did they have in that? You know, approximately. It, it was like 850 or 870. Yeah. It, it seemed like a lot of servers to ram into a small space <laughs> that was that like didn't have circulating air. Yeah. And uh, the servers had their fans and stuff, of course. But yeah. it, was, it was put into a cylinder, which was put under cold water uh, in the ocean. And it was left down there for two years. So no maintenance. Uh, no people to interact with it. And they only had about 15 of the servers fail. Uh, it looks like they were using pretty much Dell technology. And that's a really good turnaround. Even for a land data center, you would have a higher failure rate even on the good stuff. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. In that type of environment. And one of the things that we're trying to dig into, because it was my first question, is how is this powered? And the only thing we've been able to find out so far is it was all clean energy, wind energy, or solar. But there would have had to have been a way that that connected to the, to the tube. But they brought it back up. The experiment's over. It was down for two years, and that's where it came back. So there are different, definitely better ways that we can do things, and this is what this is leading into. This is User-Friendly 2.0. We've got a great show for you. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0, and like pretty much everybody out there, we're kind of ready for life to return to normal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, kind of. I mean, if you feel different, say the word, but I don't think you do. <laughs> yeah, I don't think anybody wants to keep this going. This is, if this is normal, this is a bad idea. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I, well, somebody said to me today, 2020 is the year of patience, and I, it certainly seems to be working out that way. Uh, but not everybody has that, so... <laughs> yeah, that's a problem. <laughs> but, you know, we're all having to deal with stuff in the house, and if you're living in one of the areas that's being affected by the smoke, that's kind of brought everybody back indoors this last week. And going along with that, you know, we've been talking a little bit about games and some of the games that we used to play as kids, and we've talked about this a little bit in the past on the show of things that we're doing now, but what are some of the games that you used to play when you were growing up? Um, well, I uh, gave this some thought, and um, I came up with three that were well-liked. Uh, one of them was Monopoly, and I think that's, that's actually a pretty old game. Mm -hmm. 
And it was one of those fun things where, you know, you could do that with your family and, and it's just kind of an easy, fun game to play. We did the weird thing where we put the money in the middle when you land on boardwalk. Mm-hmm. And we didn't bother with that income tax stuff because we wanted the game just to be simple and fun. <laughs> <laughs> so did you guys do money in the middle? Um, Sometimes we had house rules like that. Monopoly was a big game that I played too. And yeah, we, we we had some house rules like that. Now we still have the income tax, and I think that most people would like to get rid of that just anyway. But it is a uh, scenario that a lot of this was done I, with some of the people I played with. They didn't do the go to jail as a for example. I don't know oh. why, but that was that was a thing. And and some of us did money in the middle, and then some of the groups that I played with were spot on to the rules, and that's what you did. So it just varied. And um, I enjoyed it both ways, and I, I know those games could go on for a long time, too. And Monopoly is a game that actually started a long time ago in 1903, so it is over 100 years old, and I would be willing to believe that some of the original games might still be going on. Maybe not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe if you have a bunch of ghosts in your house. <laughs> yeah, this is true. This is true. <laughs> hey, Halloween's oh, coming up. So, you yeah. know, maybe we're there. Yeah, who knows? <laughs> um, okay. So another game that I really um, had a good time with was Trivial Pursuit. And Trivial Pursuit has kind of a special meaning for me because we played it a lot when I was in high school. And it was really, really popular at the time. And I got talked into uh, doing a group called, um, oh, God, Academic Olympics. At least that's what they called it here. And it's where all your bright kids got together. And then you went to these question things where um, all the other high schools would go and they'd compete against each other. And it was a lot of fun. Now, our high school, we decided to uh, practice with Trivial Pursuit. While a couple of the other high schools, they had intensive training and all this other stuff, and they'd make questionnaires, and they drill the kids, and you had to have a certain GPA. Well, my high school was kind of like, hey, you want to be part of the team? Come on in. Hey, we're going to play Trivial Pursuit. And it was a lot of fun. So for me, Trivial Pursuit has a really positive um, memories. Did you ever play that? I oh, play- of course. But, you know, I'm one of those weird people with trivia. So, Oh, yeah, that's right. You are kind of And smart. that's what I was going to say. I've played <laughs> it, but there were different versions of it and some that I was good at and some that I wasn't. And, you know, it's a much newer game. It goes back to 1979. And necessity is the mother of invention. It was created because the people that created it couldn't find all the pieces to their Scrabble game. Oh, so <laughs> oh, that's another one of those are, are things. Are you teasing? No, no I mean, that is actually the history of, of Trivial Pursuit, really? the original version. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Okay, so. and so I have another game that I really liked was Pictionary. Okay, now Pictionary I liked, and yes, that is one yeah, that Pictionary's I Pictionary is a lot of fun. It's more fun if you know how to draw, or at least you know how to make the right shapes so that people will guess what you're thinking of. <laughs> and I actually remember the three of us, plus somebody else playing this mm-hmm. was quite a few years ago yeah but do you do you remember that oh yeah i remember it quite well i also remember that i couldn't draw then and i can't draw now but we still had fun with it and being able to do the block figures was kind of good enough <laughs> <laughs> so what were some of the games that you guys like well monopoly of course we've already talked about and then some of the other games that i played growing up was mainly because my grandma liked them and we would sit down and play these games. And one was one called Connect Four. And I think it's probably still out there, but it was this yes, plastic shell. And 
you put these chips in it that were kind of like checkers and you had to line them up. Oh, yeah, that's okay. Been, yeah, that's been around for a while. I, I've never played that. Yeah, and there's uh, some variations of it. Where I did see it was in a local yogurt shop, and they had it for the kids before COVID started with the giant pieces. I mean, you know, that were huge. I would have loved that as a kid. And uh, <laughs> uh, it's, you know, it's one of those ones that was just kind of fun to sit and talk and play it. And I re- remember there was this lever on the bottom of it, and you pushed it to get the chips out, and it made this clunking sound, and everything fell out. And that was that was the big memory of Connect Four growing up. <laughs> Uh, that makes me think of Mousetrap. Yeah, kind of. So, so um, Jeremy, was there any favorites of yours? Uh, we we played a lot of Yahtzee. Okay, Yahtzee. Yeah, yeah. That was always that was always kind of fun. And playing Monopoly with two people is just really really weird. Yeah, it works, but you need more. You really yeah, kind of do. Yeah. Just, you know. And um, the one that I had the most fun with as a kid was Crossbows and Catapults. Okay, what well, I've heard of that game, but I don't think I've ever played it. It's ba- you, you go to the store, you buy a box. And you get um, a bunch of like um, duplo sized bricks, and you build your castle. Okay. And your opponent builds a castle a certain distance away. And then you throw your um, little checker like tiles as, uh, with your crossbow or a catapult. And you're, you're basically trying to destroy their castle before they destroy yours. Okay, that sounds something destructive that I probably would have liked. <laughs> yeah, you know, it was great. It was great fun. <laughs> uh, you know I what that makes. I actually have two complete sets in one box because I enjoyed the game so much so I could build bigger castles. Okay. So, so you could put yeah. it together. You know, that makes sense. That makes me think a little bit of Battleship, which was another game we had growing Kinda. up. I was just going to mention that. That's so, so funny. I had an electronic Battleship game. Oh, yeah. And it used to make all the noises and things. It was so cool. <laughs> Man, you know, I always wanted the electronic version, but never quite got there. But I had the manual one and it was still fun. And you put the little pegs down and tried to figure out where everything was. and. Yeah. No, it's just kind of cool. But you'll have to let us know about the board games you play growing up and now. Let us know what you think. This is User Friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0. This is the part of the show where we answer your questions. And in order to do that, we need you to send them in. There's a couple of different ways to do that. You can give us a call 24-7 at 503-766-6264. Or send us your questions on Facebook or Twitter at one user friendly. And the other way to do it, go to our website, userfriendlynation.com, and you can submit your questions there. What do we have this week? What is a good, inexpensive dash cam? This is a device that I do highly recommend anybody that drives goes ahead and gets. I've used them for a long time now, and they've actually helped a lot. Uh, Continuing with an accident that I had back in December where I was going to get hit with the insurance claim, but because I had a dash cam and it showed what happened, I didn't. So the the amount of money you spend on these is actually not too bad, but there's a couple of different ways you can go with this. So looking at the ratings just straight out, Garmin has the top two spots. In a couple of different devices they have here, and you've got some choices to make. They make models with a screen or without. So what the device does is it hangs in your windshield, and it has a camera facing front, and as you drive, it sees everything you see and makes a recording of it. So basically, it's about what do you want to do with that, and do you want to be able to watch it in the car? And if the answer is no, you can save a little money getting a model without a screen. Now, the other end of the spectrum here for answering specifically to inexpensive 
is these are devices that you can find on places like Amazon and eBay for $30 or $40, but you do get what you pay for, and you want to make sure that they continue working. The unbranded ones do seem to function, but not as long as some of the better ones. What did Apple present this week? So Apple had their September show, which they do every year, where they announce a number of new and different products usually. But this year, we didn't see a new iPhone, although they had said that they were going to be pushed back a little bit. But what we did see are some updates to the Apple Watch. And the other thing is that iOS 14 is coming out this week. So that update will probably be to you by the time we talk about this. But those were kind of the biggest things. There's some other areas that Apple's getting involved in, and Peloton is taking notice because they want to get into the fitness segment. So they're going to be offering some services with the Apple Watch that will include things like cycling and whatnot and allow them to actually be a competitor. They're putting this all together in a package, and it's a package that's being called anti-competitive, called Apple One, where you just go on, you pay a monthly fee, and it gives you all of their chosen apps to be able to do various different things. Should I buy a VR headset? Well, I recommend it, although right now things are changing. And really? Yep. Yeah, uh, Oculus Rift, which is the one that I've had, is officially dead, or it will be the first part of next year. Facebook oh is dropping that. They're coming up with uh, some new technology, a uh, thing called the Quest 2, which the initial reviews have been absolutely outstanding. I'm going to be checking this out in the next couple of weeks myself, and we'll talk about it. Now, I really like VR. I think we've all had a lot of fun with it, and there's a number of different options out there for what you can choose from. PlayStation 4 has a headset. Will it be compatible with the PS5? That's a question that we're trying to get answered. So the one thing about it right now is to try not to buy into old technology. Do a little research on this and figure out if the brand that you're looking at is still going to be out there. They'll work. They're great. But again, the technology changes. So you want to buy something that we're moving into, like the Quest 2 if you want for your PC, instead of something we're moving away from, like the Oculus Rift. Is it still possible to buy a desktop computer? So the big old tower with a monitor connected to it, and uh, yes, it is. Uh, in fact, there's a lot of use for these type of things still out there. Laptop sales are, of course, way up, especially with everybody working from home lately. It's a little easier to have a portable device, but you can get the desktop versions, and there are plenty of times where that is still necessary uh, for computing power and other things that are out there. You can get Apple and PCs. As a for example on this, Dell still makes a number of good desktop computers, and they also make an all-in-one. HP has some similar models like that where it's basically just the monitor. It sits on your desk. You don't have the tower, but it does everything that a desktop would do, but it's not meant to be portable like a laptop. So that's out there. So it just depends on what you need. Shop around, but these are definitely still available. What is happening with CBS All Access? All right, to start with on that, CBS All Access is a streaming service from CBS, obviously. But one of the things that we're seeing is streaming fatigue. There are too many services. So CBS, in an effort to try and tie all of these things together, is coming up with a new service called Paramount Plus. That'll be the rebranding of CBS All Access starting next year. This is User-Friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the break. And this is User-Friendly 2.0. Joining us now, Steve Mailer. Well, guys, as always, thank you very much. 
I'm sitting down with an old friend, producer from San Diego, California. She's been a professional journalist for decades, and she has created a remarkable service that empowers companies to become their own brand creators through content production. It's really, really cool. Her name is Phoebe Chung Chua. She has a lot of great information for how to create your own brand, something that she has a really neat idea called brand journalism. Phoebe, welcome to User Friendly. Hi, thanks for having me and good to connect with you again. It's been too long since we've talked. So Indeed. now your website's very interesting. Like how did you how did you begin the idea for brand journalism? Mm, you know, um, I would say it dates all the way back to my days in TV news. Okay. Because I was covering stories, um, especially toward the latter part of my career at uh, the ABC affiliate 10 News here in San Diego. But I was covering positive stories. Usually these are the stories that, you know, air at the end of the newscast, the kicker, yes. you might call them, okay. the fluffy stories. Sure. You know? But really, I quite, uh, you know, I think it's important to tell these stories because these are the positive ones. So I would tell stories about companies uh, in some cases or nonprofits that were out there doing good things. Um, that's a form of brand journalism, if you will, because it's just sharing the news, but it's maybe a little bit more from the brand perspective. Now, the reason I was doing this is at that time, I was the community affairs specialist. So that's I was the right. liaison. Yeah, yep, I remember that. The community, right? Mm -hmm. Right. Between the community, between the brand and these positive things. And we were doing these big, large community resource festivals, linking together our viewership with positive stories and uh, ways to give back and volunteer in the community. But since then, the, the market of technology for the consumer and for businesses has exploded. Absolutely exploded. Right? Yeah. Especially right now during COVID or during you know, this whole pandemic, people have had to find new ways to communicate and brands have had to find new ways to reach their, you know, consumers. Sure. So that's kind of how this all came to be. And brand journalism is nothing more than branded content, but with sort of that journalistic perspective Okay. Uh, that makes it different from, say, straight up advertising. Got you. Okay. So, and what's neat about your service is that you, you take the, your client through a series of basically storytelling basics that you, you're teaching them how to tell their own story. That's right. Because so many people think a story is maybe an ad, especially when they're a business or a solopreneur, and they think, oh, I'm just creating an ad. That's not a story. A story has to have certain uh, elements in it, if you will, okay. to make it a story. So think about like Hollywood TV or a lot of us are watching a ton of Netflix right yes. now or, or Apple TV. Mm -hmm. What makes stories stories? In my opinion, you've got to have, you know, a person, uh, 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 you know, antagonist, a protagonist. Sure. You have to have all the elements. So how do you do that when you have a, as a business or a brand? Well, you have the same kind of things. You might have a story based on something that your client has learned to do. If you're a remodeler, for instance, you might have a story about how you solved a problem for a particular client in the remodeling space. Okay. Maybe that's that they have extended family, that they had nowhere to put this extended family to keep them close, yet let them live independently. So you might create a story around accessory dwelling units or ADUs, as they're often called. 
And that story might take you from the consumer's perspective of the problem that they had and how they missed their loved ones. You might show them, you know, um, FaceTiming each other from far away and then bringing them close together by creating and building this ADU in the backyard that now allows, you know, grandma to live on the property, but has her own entrance, her own kitchenette. So that's the makings of, of a story. Is it like your Hollywood thriller? No, no, because it's branded content and it's about a business. Okay. But you can, you can imagine that there's many different stories to tell. Somebody can't uh, find the perfect mattress. How do you go about doing that? There's the problem. Where's the location? You know, where's the setting? And then how do you go about telling that story and solving that problem? Nice. Nice. Okay. And so part of your service, because I, I looked at your website, and I noticed there was a, a quite a collection of podcasts that you do and that are, that's called The Brand Journalism Advantage. So now these are, are these part of a package that a client can get from you or how does that work? Yeah. So The Brand Journalism Advantage is a podcast that I launched a couple of years ago and we're about um, close to 450 or so episodes into it. Wow. Yeah, quite a bit. And it's quite a, quite a task to produce that many. I originally was producing about three a week. Um, and I've scaled back some just because of the amount of time I'm spending with clients, et okay. cetera. Mm-hmm. But um, that's more of a service that I provide in the same way that if you are taking the remodeler story or the mattress company story, if you're one of those brands you might want to provide content about how to, um, you know, pick the right mattress because I, I can tell you firsthand it's very difficult. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and so my podcast is there to be a guide for you. If you hire me or you don't hire me, you will get full advantage of listening into this show, and it covers everything from marketing, social media, technology, public relations, brand storytelling, digital marketing. We run the gamut, and I interview some of the greatest minds and the top leaders in these spaces. That's a free service that I offer. Now, if you were to say, hey, I want to start my own podcast, I can help you with that, and then you can mimic what I'm doing, or I show you other people's podcasts, because there are many great podcasts out there now that you can emulate, or you can say, I really like this. So what I do as a podcasting coach is I take you you know, from the very beginning of how do I get the idea? What do I talk about? How do I use a microphone? Um, How do I set up a quote unquote studio to how does it get to Apple? (laughs) And how do I stay in new and noteworthy (laughs) so that somebody actually listens to my podcast? And so we go deep with all of those things. And often I'll say, I'd like you in between, usually it's set up as a coaching session. Okay. That was my next question. Yeah. So I might say, you know, I'd like you, Steve, to take a listen to episode 233. I, I'm not sure. sure. I'm not even looking at that episode That's fine. right now. But, but, you know, take a look at that episode and um, listen to that first. And then we'll meet back and I'll coach you on some more. So okay. I introduce you to other people who are doing phenomenal work out there okay. as well. I see. So it's, there's a technical part to this. And there's also showing by examples ways that you can teach someone how to do this if this is something that they want to pursue for their business to help them brand. Absolutely. And some people, yeah, some people do it just as a hobby too. I mean, you know, they talk about a a Netflix series or an Apple TV series or, you know, something like that. Yeah, that's, 
you know that you're actually hitting home because a lot of times that feels like what I'm doing here. But anyway, folks, if you wanted to check out some of Phoebe's information, a good place to go to is thinklikeajournalist.com. And that will also lead you to her main, thebrandjournalismadvantage.com webpage. Well, Phoebe Chung Chu, it was fun catching up with you. I'm sorry we don't have more time because I had more questions. But I do appreciate you being with us here on User Friendly. Oh, so enjoyed it so much. Thanks for allowing me to be on. All right, Bill, Jeremy, and Gretchen, guys, take it away. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. Great show this week. Always enjoy Steve's interviews. It's kind of fun to talk to people that are inside the whole production thing, especially right now, to find out how they do their craft. And speaking of such things, we have the new Season 2 of Mandalorian coming out. Yep. Everybody be prepared. October 30th, we get to watch more Mandalorian. So this is going to be cool and coming up. And I know, Gretchen, you don't like uh, seeing things ahead of stuff. So I'm going to ask Jeremy this question. There is a rumor that the Mandalorian is seeking the Jedi. What do you think of that? Well, it's obvious if you watched the last episode of the last season, that's what he's supposed to do. But now with all the trailers and stuff coming out, we've got to wonder who's he going to find first? Is he going to find the, the Jedi or the Sith? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, so we one, don't know. one hmm. comment I will make, and this is just a broad comment, not that I have any inside information on such things. But a lot of productions like this, especially one as popular as The Mandalorian, the marketing people actually will release disinformation to create buzz. So, you know, the real story is probably out there, but we just don't know which one it is. <laughs> and, you know, looking back a little bit, Gretchen, I know you've been watching some of the old Disney movies online streaming. What, what, have, what have you seen there that's interesting? Well, you know, because it's kind of gloomy out lately and with all the smoke in the air. And I thought, well, why don't I watch something that I used to watch as a kid. Uh, they used on Sundays. Mm -hmm. They used to always have the big Disney thing. It was a big deal. Okay. And a lot of people would, oh, you know, the Sunday Disney, you know, movie. Yeah, Walt Disney Presents. Yeah. And that was always kind of fun. And so I decided I was going to watch uh, The Absent-Minded Professor with Fred McMurray. And it's an old black and white film that's just really charming. It just takes you back to a different time period. You know, and it was funny to watch the how they had the um, the basketball players bouncing around because he put the flubber <laughs> on the bottoms of their shoes, and, and and you're looking at these guys bouncing around, and I keep looking for like the cables to see how they faked it, and I couldn't see it. So yeah. obviously, they did a good enough job that even though you know that something strange is going on. Um, the actors did a good enough job that yeah, that, you that was see it. well before CGI, so they couldn't have gone through and used CGI on it, but they could have gone through and actually painted out the wires on each individual oh. frame. But you know, we don't know. Yeah, <laughs> no, that's all. That's interesting. It's it, it's magic on how they used to do this stuff before the computer. You know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I'd like to invite everybody to check out our Tech Wednesday blog. We look at a topic in technology in depth every week. It's over at TheAnswerPortland.com. Let us know what you think. This week is a TikTok hijacking problem that's out there. If you have the Android version of the TikTok app, make sure it's updated. Because if it's not, there's a way that people can get in and steal an access token and be able to get to other files on your phone. So what's an access token? 
Check out the Tech Wednesday blog at TheAnswerPortland.com and send us your questions and comments, one user-friendly on Facebook, one user-friendly on Twitter. Until next week, this is User-Friendly 2.0, keeping you safe on the cutting edge. User-Friendly 2.0 is copyright 2020, User-Friendly Media Group, Inc. The views and opinions expressed in this show are those of the host and not necessarily User-Friendly Media Group, Inc. or this station. Music licensing by BMI. Hosting provided by WeAreTechnology.com. Podcast available at TheAnswerPortland.com or UserFriendlyShow.com.